and welcome to the sanctuary a safe space to speak from the heart i'm your host israel and my guest today is social entrepreneur and co-founder of sankara lily lynch thanks for coming to the sanctuary today thanks for having me israel nice to be here how are you doing today i'm doing pretty well um everything considered um right. kind of with a heavy heart but it's good to be here as well and just share some space with you to talk about what go what's going on yeah no yeah <laughs> there's so many things happening um and anyway we'll, we'll unpack it I, I wanted to start with this question if we're not if you were not doing Sankara, if you're not running it, if you didn't find it, what would you have been doing? That's a great question. Um, I had always set out to be a teacher. So I went oh. to school and studied history and French. And I, I had always realized that in our education curriculum, and when I say our, I mean Nova Scotia as a person born in Halifax and raised there, um, we we had very little um opportunity to learn about our Indigenous history and Black history. So if I was doing something else, it would definitely be teaching and creating more students who are proud of their roots and their their histories and connections, Indigenous connections to Nova Scotia. That was Those were all histories I had to learn myself. So that's what I'd be doing if I wasn't doing Sankara. Yo, that, I mean, in a way, you are kind of doing that in Sankara too, right? Because you are educating people through food and crafts and arts and let's talk about Sankara what do you do what what's Sankara about how did you guys start that yeah so Sankara is a platform to do just exactly what you said is bring people closer and make them feel more connected and open to experiencing different cultural perspectives through food and craft and like events um, so a lot of what we're doing is creating links between um, vendors who have come from international backgrounds and chosen maritime communities to live in and thrive in and have their cultural products that they want to sell, um, both to make connections in the community and to make a living. Um, so mm. it's economically sustainable and culturally relevant um, for them to prepare their food and prepare their craft and use our website, which is SankaraCuisine.com, to sell all of their goods um, to people who are opening their minds and opening their arms and trying to learn more about these different perspectives and cultures. So that's what we're doing at Sankara. And we started uh, four years ago, so we've been um, really pleased and uh, excited about the people's openness to participating in Sankara and joining, joining the movement, I guess, if we want to call it that. The word too, you know, I was on the website and I was reading a bit about the word. Do you want to share a bit of that story? On Sankara itself? Yeah, the word, yes. Yeah, so we named our company Sankara after the revolutionary leader Thomas Sankara, who was um, a Pan-Africanist and uh, someone who believed very strongly in self-determination and autonomy. And uh, he was unfortunately assassinated by France, um, but he was the president of Burkina Faso in the mid-80s. Um, but he really did change the course of his country's history and sort of their psyche. Um, and we really um, want to name the company after someone whose values really um, we wanted to emulate. So with Sankara, we believe that anyone who is BIPOC, um, Black, Indigenous, a person of color, an immigrant, a refugee, someone who's from the global majority can come to whichever country they choose to live in, which Canada in our case, and produce their culture and have the rights and hold the ability to be the one to create their culture instead of having it be appropriated or having um, 
no uh, ties to their culture once they land in Canada. So that's one of the major things that has kept us running is this idea of really embracing all that is you in all of yourself and all of your identities and all of those intersections and selling it and reproducing it to make connections mm. in the community. Yeah, no, that that is super important, actually, because you don't want to lose yourself. Like, sure, you love Canada and Canada has given you opportunities I'm talking about myself, but like you don't want to lose like your language, your food, uh, your culture, things that things that remind you, things that feel like home, even though you are building a new home here in a different country. So it's essential that Sankara does that. And here's the thing you keep mentioning, like culture, community, and uh, having all these values. How did these values get in, like in, um, instilled in you? These values were instilled in me um, basically, I would say, through my mom and through the different communities that I uh, am a part of. So I grew up like in Halifax with a single mom. Um, she's my white parent with different, you know, Euro roots. And my dad is black and Mi'kmaq. So in my own sort of search for this connection to my identity and my um, community connections, it really took me through different chapters of learning about Indigenous Black history and culture, and also um, my Mi'kmaq roots from my um, dad's side and my grandmother's connection to um, Mi'kma'ki, which is, you know, extends across Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. So I'm still sort of feeling connected to my community here as well in New, in New Brunswick, where I am now. Um, so I think it really came through a personal pursuit, but also my co-founder, he's from Nigeria and Cameroon. And so he has all of these really um, embedded and rich traditions in um, his Igbo tradition. Um, and we wanted to make sure that people didn't just um, lose that connection to themselves and um, try so hard to assimilate and integrate into Canada in the sense of losing language and losing connection to cultural food and really feel embraced in all parts of themselves because if you're not able to learn about yourself or reproduce the parts of yourself that are unique, then you mm. begin to feel disconnected. So personally, it was my own pursuit to know about my mixed identity. And then my co-founder being from like a very rich and ancient um, culture, multiple cultures in West Africa, and then coming mm. here, you know, everyone has a story and you should be the one to reproduce and, and uh, sell your story to, to the world everyone should have the right to like tell their own story and produce it. And if that can be produced for monetary value or artistic value or cultural value, then that's definitely what Sankara is after with working with so many different vendors from different backgrounds. Mm. How did you start it then? That's a great uh, story. So my co-founder and I moved from Halifax to St. John uh, which is in New Brunswick, and we decided to um, make some connections in the community. We know we knew no one here, um, so we made some connections in the community by selling our traditional, his traditional Nigerian and Cameroonian food at a public market stall, so like kind of like seaport market, that kind of like thing. A, yeah. um, and we produced this food and just see how people would react to it and respond to it, um, mm. since it was something that was really integral to like our connection, you know, in our home. Um, bringing that to people and seeing if they're interested in spicy food or interested in, you know, peanut stew where you blend together peanuts and ginger and garlic and all of these different ingredients together to create something that has familiar ingredients, but has a very different result. And people mm -hmm. were really um, enthralled with like coming back to the stall and getting different food every week. So we mm -hmm. realized there was a demand 
And once it became too cold to stand outside and serve food is when my co-founder decided to build a website that we could basically present the same options to the community, but an online market instead of a physical market. And Mm -hmm. there was so many vendors who were using that Sunday, you know, market time to generate income and make community connections that also wanted to benefit from joining the website that we just uh, eventually considered opening it up from African food to international and multicultural food. Mm. How do you choose the people, the vendors on Sankara? Do they approach you? Is it the other way around? It's every which way. Um, sometimes word of mouth has been really powerful, especially in Atlantic Canada. People are very apt to like recommend um, not only different products and different vendors that they enjoy, but different opportunities. So some vendors come to us and get signed up. Some vendors recommend to other vendors that they've had a good um, experience with us. So they come and get signed up. And there's no... Um, fees or any limitation like that we pose on the vendor for signing up. They do have Mm. to be food safety certified and cook in a licensed kitchen, but we work with everyone from every different background. Um, So you don't just have to have your own restaurant. You can be an independent vendor and, you know, still work with us on our platform. Did you say there's no fees to join? Yeah, there's, it's absolutely a free platform. So we are a social enterprise, but we are for profit. So um, the way that we sort of make our um, income for the, company is that we charge a commission that's built into the price of everything on the website, but it's a customer facing commission. So unlike that like really ping the vendors, we don't ping the vendors, anything. We don't charge them anything. We we charge the customer. So I know my thing is 12 bucks. uh, And then I'm paying Sankara, I don't know, 3%, whatever. And then the client is paying, the customer is paying 15 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. And then that top goes to Sankara and then I get my 12 bucks all the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So vendors get exactly how much that they deserve and set for their menu prices without being like price gauged. And And is it like, uh, is the delivery service built in or... Yeah, the delivery service is an additional cost. So once you go to the website and you plug in what you want for your food, um, we actually have a flat rate $5 delivery, which is really great. And we can deliver, you know, anywhere throughout HRM, Moncton, Fredericton, and St. John. That is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but like, is is that in St. John or did it start in, like, how long did it take you guys to get into the Halifax HRM area? Um, we just launched into Halifax, um, about six months ago, but we've been operating in New Brunswick for the last like three, three years or so. Um, so that's how long it's taken. Okay. 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 Um, what, what was the catalyst or what was the reason or what was the prompt that made you realize, okay, it's time to go into Halifax now? Oh, we want to make it a tool that anyone can use across Canada because there's so many different, you know, people from various backgrounds, like especially in larger cities um, that can just if they want to make income on the side or start up a side business or maybe run it full time, um, they can just plug into our website no matter which city that they're in and then mm. um, generate revenue right away. So that's why we're extending it across Canada. We're just starting with Atlantic Canada first. Yeah. Um, and actually your business, we had this thing happen two years now. Holy shit. March, 2020, uh, well, it's coming up two years soon, but March, 2020 COVID started, things shut down. You guys were already kind of ready cause you were, you had this online platform. Did, uh, did you see any changes in service or, uh, customer demands once COVID hit? 
Yeah, absolutely. We did. We saw um, a lot of people respond, you know, favorably to learning and cooperating with ordering online. It was something that in Atlantic Canada wasn't that familiar to folks. Um, so there's sort of a learning curve and um, people sort of readjusting to this new sense of um, operation, um, which is like working from home if, if you know, they weren't frontline workers and um, some people obviously, you know, losing their job and not being able to work. So we did see um, people ordering like our meal boxes to give as gifts and to support their family members in different cities. Um, mm. So it's, it was really a positive um, response that we received and we were able to mainly the goal for us is continue generating revenue for our partner vendors because a lot of mm. them they couldn't op- operate their restaurant they couldn't go to the public market to sell um, things that they were still doing in addition to Sankara so we were able to really like utilize our platform to continue and actually we expanded during the pandemic to an, uh, Moncton and Halifax um, mm. so it, it's actually been really great for us um, people have been really supportive but the other thing is I think people were just so Um, kind of bored with cooking at home that they wanted to taste something else. And so uh, our product allows you to sort of travel vicariously through receiving a box of different food and it's already pre-made. So you learn about a different country and you can experience a different taste without really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, one of the benefits too. So for example, like if you Israel were in Hal- you're in Halifax and you order from Chef Salam, he's from Iraq. So you're going to open up your meal box and you're going to receive all these meals from um, Iraq, but you're going to receive a biography about Chef Salam and his photo. You see, see a menu, all the food is labeled and it's a way of like you stepping into another place in the world that you might not ever get to visit or certainly during COVID cannot visit. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Culture and community, those are the two words that keep coming back. Um, so when you personally, uh, COVID, what what things did COVID change for you? How was the first few months, at least that very first lockdown, that was, that was nothing I've experienced before in my life, for sure. Yeah, uh, for, for all of us, it induced so much worry and anxiety and uncertainty um, that the the only thing I mean, I remember at one point, I just I'm not a, you know, professional art maker or printmaker. But at one point, I remember making a lino cut print. And the only thing I could think of this is in maybe mid April is hope. Like the only thing I can think of is just hope and just making this being intentional about sitting down, making time, considering, you know, what it is that's going to get us through. Um, you know, in addition to obviously following all the public health measures and staying at home at that point, it's just like having hope and having belief that this is something that we can overcome um, mm. really did help me out a lot. And reading and connecting with family and video calls obviously are really important. So it's lucky that we have those tools available at our disposal. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is not unfamiliar to you, like you keeping in touch with your family and just trying to keep your connections and your community um, safe and keeping them in your mind. Like, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, Skype and WhatsApp. You know, it's funny because, like, for years and years, I've been using Skype just to talk with family and stuff and WhatsApp. And, like, I didn't freaking know what Zoom is. But from work now, Zoom is, <laughs> is everywhere. In fact, and this is just, like, a sidetrack. There's a video. It's, like, this comic um, YouTube channel. And then mm-hmm. they made a video from the ceo of skype you should google it it's hilarious it's hilarious anyway um so let's talk about you and your partner right you're multiracial he's from africa how did you meet and like were there any 
I guess, uh, was there a steep learning curve on dating someone that wasn't, uh, isn't from Canada? Mm, yeah. Um, the way that we met was, uh, just, we were both in school and, um, in Halifax, it's just easy to kind of like come across people and talk with them and they're interesting. So, um, that was how we met just in Halifax and we, um, have, Definitely like very different backgrounds considering my household was myself and my single mom. So it was not really very busy or chaotic or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the sense of like this sort of like individualism of having grown up in Canada in this context where everyone's taking care of themselves versus my partner being from Nigeria and a family of um, six children and then two parents and then other people in the household. Um, it's definitely a difference, but, um, I don't think that there were any, um, steep, like learning curve or anything like that. It was just more openness and curiosity to one another's perspectives Mm -hmm. and the way that we both understand the world in, through the way that we grew up. Um, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I had never come from any entrepreneurial background, but in Otito's case, and as is the case in like many Nigerian families and West African families, generally is like entrepreneurship is like the big thing. So everyone in the family was making their own business. So um, he already had a lot of experience with like customer service and um, sales and those kinds of things through helping um, his parents uh, in their businesses. And that was something that I had never been exposed to before. So it's like he Mm -hmm. had a head start, you know, in how to run business. And uh, it was really fun to catch up and learn and explore like how to run this business together and Mm. it's definitely a challenge when you run a business you know with your partner like business partner and partner um but it's it's been like a really fun time there's it's brought us to like boston and newfoundland and you know ottawa so it's like been a really fun time in like experiencing different places through like the business um Mm. but also once i had a chance to like go to west africa myself it was an opportunity to like kind of put myself in the headspace of you know these busy markets and sort of the hustle and the the pursuit um the individual pursuit because the like lack of you know government um support and um really care for the people or even knowing that a person exists or was born is maybe not always the case. So me um, visiting there and um, just realizing the sort of system and society and how, you know, informal certain things were in the marketplace really Mm -hmm. like helped me to understand like that sort of urgency and sense of drive that he has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. You mentioned Togo. How, how was that experience? Oh, it's wonderful. It was a really um, unexpected in so many ways um, experience. I lived in an area called um, Sotubwa, which is in like central Togo. Um, maybe for the purposes of this podcast, I would just say I live in central Togo. So people don't necessarily make all the, uh, you know, connections and stuff like that. I don't know, personal things. Um, but like, uh Um, or like security things, I think. I wouldn't really want to just say where I was. Um, But in in my time there, I just lived in a community and I worked with a local, locally run organization that did like um, a lot of women's leadership programs and women in business 
um, development. And I also just work with a local teacher to supplement sort of their English lessons. So it was uh, for like a group of, you call them junior high students, um, but they're following like the French curriculum system. So it was called Lake CRG. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really great time of, of connecting. It was a local professor that put me in touch with this organization that his friend had um, developed from Togo. Oh, wow. So it's a good thing that you're bilingual then. Yeah. Yeah. It was really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> and what was the reason behind that? Because you grew up in Halifax and like we don't really do French chance, huh? Mm, yeah, you don't really need French here. I just I grew up in um, Halifax in the North End. Like I went to um, the schools all through like Halifax North End and Oxford and St. Joe's and everything like that and t- took French immersion. So why? And I think part of the reason I think I think every like African Nova Scotian should go and visit, you know, West Africa and kind of get a sense because there's most of our connections if you do your dna is through nigeria cameroon you know those like regions along the gold coast and or what was formerly known as the gold coast to get a sense of like your roots and origins um just to have a connection back i worked at the black loyalist heritage museum for a couple of summers when i was growing up it's in birchtown which was once the largest free population of black people outside of the continent of africa and wow. uh, i think everyone should get a chance to um, go to uh, visit West Africa and spend time. Go to Ghana if you speak English. Go to Nigeria. Go to Togo. Go to Benin. Like it's really worthwhile. Wow. Putting your money where your mouth is really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When's the last time that you went to uh, to Nigeria? A long time. Very long time. Because I lived in uh, Cape Town for a while. And yeah. then I moved to Canada and yeah, um, very long time. But, you know, still have roots there and I talk to family as often as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One thing you mentioned is uh, there, while you're in Togo, you did things with like women in business. That's something you do a lot of. Why is that important to you? Like joining these communities? Yeah. Supporting communities where, um, you know, women are in business and, um, witnessing the way that women operate in business is um, really a unique opportunity to just see the way that our sort of we match like feminine and masculine energies because we're operating in a system where it's been created like in a patriarchal structure. So the way that um, women and, you know, non-male identifying people show up in business is often different and for um, different reasons, uh, while it's economic reasons as well. Um, there's other sort of like self-validating reasons and um, pursuits of um, doing it to show that to the younger generation that it's possible that we can show up in business. So I think that um, that those are a lot of the core values that even Thomas Sankara held as well in that there there is equality between you know men and women, but definitely the way that we do things and the way we arrive at certain places is we take a different route possibly with the different energies that we hold as, you know, um, female people. So that's uh, one of the things that I did notice. And um, when I was in Togo, it was a really great uh, like opportunity to just witness like the amount of work and determination and, um, selflessness also among like women supporting one another in business. Um, and I think that really, um, 
instilled in me like the ability of like if women don't support one another in business which there's sometimes some animosity or competition and not wanting to work closely together if we don't support one another like no one else is going to be as apt to support us as we are Mm -hmm. for ourselves so that was you know something that I witnessed um a lot Mm. yeah yeah. Um, then building on that, you know, you said your partner is the one that has the entrepreneurial background, the sales, the marketing, and but like you've been joining these communities and also educating yourself. And one of the ones that stood out for me was the marketing sem- seminar because uh, it's from Seth Godin's Akimbo, uh, it's a B Cup, and like I, I love what he says. It's just, yeah. Um, how was that experience for you and it, what did you take out from the sem- seminar? Yeah, I think it's really important to understand like the consumer's point of view, you know, in marketing. I think a, a lot of um, businesses in sort of a previous generation have done things from a perspectives of sales and um, quotas and th- those kinds of sort of pursuits of more and more and more. But mm-hmm. really, um, I think the way that Seth Godin operates is um, really like a consumer centric understanding um, of what they're looking for, why they're looking for what they're looking for, um, mm-hmm. what version of themselves that they aim to be. And then from there, kind of reviewing the lens that you can look through to be able to access them with something that really actually serves them and who they want to be and what their aims are. So Mm. I think one of my favorite things that he says is um, people like me do things like this, um, which is like a way of framing like who it is that you are serving or how you make associations so that people feel more comfortable and more apt to see themselves in your product, see themselves in your service or see who they can become through using, you know, what you have to offer. Mm. And your business embodies that fully. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, um, I think anyone that doesn't have a business background sees things differently. Like if when you don't have a formal business background, you just see things differently um, in the sense that uh, we we are operating almost from a point of like naiveness before, you know, operating a business. And then once you have some time and have put in the effort of really knowing the business model and um, making uh, efforts in marketing and actually having some uh, experiences behind you, you can see um, just the way that like, if you don't try and do experiential things, then you're never really going to, you know, be able to know you can't just go and hire this or that consultant you almost you do have to have a repertoire of I've done it myself I have these catalogs of experiences and then from there you you just you make more advances rather than you know always hiring everything out to someone who's more of an expert than you you have to kind of try and then fail forward and and just see where it takes you Mm, mm. and like you know being a founder you have to be pretty much everything for that business do you find this yeah, it's it's absolutely the case. You're wearing all the hats all at once, all the time, and it, it's like definitely exciting and exhilarating. But it's it's a lot of demands uh, also because you uh, you're never quite sure, you know, when the next maybe fire or alarm is going to go off, and you have to <laughs> you know be there to address it, as you know. So it's kind of um, uh, really exhilarating, but at the same time exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that exhausting part, right? Mental health is something that is also important to you. And, like, running a business uh, and, like, 
being multiracial, all these things all come into this one part. And it's all, you have a co-founder, but, you know, focusing on you now, how do you manage it all? Mm. And take care of your mental health. (laughs) Um, I think that, something that's really helped me with um, managing it is just, you know, being honest when things are not going 100% well. I think that um, maybe in the past few years, people have gotten more comfortable with, you know, really being open to the fact that, you know, being not okay is sometimes okay. Um, It's always okay, I should say. Um, So when things are like really tough, just being honest about them and being open and having like, you know, um, containers and vessels in people that you really trust and love to be able to express like those, you know, pursuits and, um, you know, issues that you're going through, um, don't always look as luxurious or as put together as the way that the world perceives them, you know, the external world. So having your own, you know, team that you can rely on to, to express your challenges with is big. And then I have like a, I've got a puppy, um, in November 2019. So now she's almost, uh, she's just over two uh, years old and uh, she's great. So taking her out for walks, fresh air, reconnecting with nature. And also like the more, um, the more I intentionally put into pursuits of like knowledge and learning outside of reading business books or taking courses is really great for reconnecting with and like learning about, especially like my Mi'kmaq ancestry and um, my grandmother's, you know, stories and listening to um, just different forms of, I guess, knowing so that you can kind of, I try to reframe all of those and use them, you know, in my everyday. So mm. that's been really helpful reading and experiencing different perspectives. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, uh, taking these, learning from your grandmom, finding out more about your ancestry and stuff. I'm wondering, being multiracial, what was that experience for you like growing up? Yeah, I think that um, when you grow up um, as a multiracial person, and I think up until a certain time, um, it wasn't really something that I reckoned with all that much. I mean, I grew up in an area where like a lot of people look like me, um, you know, whether they're like more um, have different like multiracial backgrounds but in Halifax it's a really common thing like the Black Scotian experience is in some sense an experience where you have some mixing at some point just by virtue of you know the history of coming up from slavery and you know all of that so there are people who do look like me Um, but I think that one of the major um, opportunities in it is that um, through like working at in Birchtown, um, I was able to reconnect with like my sort of history and identity and really understand the challenges and um, resiliency that um, Black Nova Scotians and just our Black ancestors have been through generally. And um, that was really influential for me um, as a as a person of mixed race, um, especially when you grow up with like one parent and that's not your parent, you know, color. And in many communities, like um, that, that's just the case. That's what happens. Um, mm-hmm. So having my grandparents like be around for me to ask them questions and for them to care for me and bring me into the community, like throughout Nova Scotia, Digby and Annapolis Royal and like these prominent um, black communities and um, was really important. 
Um, and I'm really grateful for like all the support that they provided me growing up and everything, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. a big thing, especially in the black community, like connection with grandparents is huge. Yeah. Um, they are such a big support system and such a big um, like way of containing knowledge from our previous generations that if we didn't have them and we didn't connect with them, we, we just wouldn't know like enough about ourselves. Mm. And now you are through your business, through your social enterprise, you are giving back some of that knowledge, but also broadening it by bringing in other communities and cultures. Do you feel like that's a little bit of, uh, actually not a little bit. Do you feel like that's a lot of responsibility? There's a huge amount of responsibility. And, you know, as someone who, as as someone who can also code as white in certain spaces and pass, you know, in certain spaces, depending where I am, I do feel that I have an immense responsibility to not always be um, the person who is like a spokesperson or always has the microphone or always is, you know, presenting myself in front of our audience, whether it's on social media or in the community. Um, and I think working in Sankara is um, the whole goal is allowing other people opportunities to gain recognition and access to, um, you know, resources, be it um, information, um, financial resources, and, you know, other um, links and ties for them to collaborate with other people um, so that, you know, I can be more of a bridge than be, you know, a spokesperson because I don't purport to know, you know, everything or anything about, you know, any particular experience. So having different people from so many backgrounds within Sankara is a real privilege and it's an amazing experience to be able to witness, you know, what opportunities they also self-generate through using our platform. And that's, mm. that's really where it's at for me. I think um, if there's anything um, that people should really know, it's like that when you run a business that's a multicultural um, business or a business where you join people from different backgrounds at all anyway, you're going to witness like sort of a transfer of empathy and a transfer of understanding like between one another. And mm. it's an amazing experience to watch that happen um, and to be part of it. Mm. And okay <laughs> that that's true because like uh when you bring it's like this melting pot right you know there's the the chef you mentioned from iraq and then it's the people with the Ghanaian food or the uh nigerian food and then it's like this mix melting pot of different cultures and everyone learning from the other person because like i know what my place is but i don't know how to uh re relate with that person and their culture but to be part of this beautiful movement like you called it um i have to learn i have to stay open and i have to be also willing to accept what is shared yeah and in as much as it's a melting pot i suppose like in that we're a multicultural marketplace like each person is is so distinct so like for example some of our partner vendors i mean because of the canadian system and you know trying to get recertified from a career that you had in another country in Canada. We've had, we've had biochemists who are chefs in Sankara. Um, we've had mechanical engineers. We have a dentist. Um, 
who's a partner vendor in Sankara, and she's getting recertified. She just took her exam last week um, to to become a dentist again in Canada. But it's just all of these backgrounds. So no matter like if it's a cultural background or an um, an affiliation with like a career or a pathway in your life of how you want to provide for your community, it's almost like this this common ground that all of the people in Zankara share is just mm. the identity piece of that I am all wholly myself and everything that I represent from my culture. And I'm the one who can be able to put that forward into my community and be proud of like standing behind it. So that's a really, while it's a melting pot, potentially everyone's a distinct um, individual and um, is able to like really show up as themselves in Sankara. And it's, it's really been awesome to see. Mm. Wow. This is a wonderful educational period for me I'm, I'm loving this i'm enjoying this conversation but i'm gonna let you go with this question now you've built this movement from an idea your partner and yourself had from the farmer's market i'm just gonna call it that from the farmer's market in new brunswick to now serving working with many vendors and serving so much like such a large area what's next for Sankara? I'm really glad that you asked what's next. Um, we are in the midst of um, building, and I say we, my co-founder and our team of um, web developers, software developers are in the midst of building a brand new platform and also an application, which will allow people to get closer to um, the root um, of our vendors. So we will be adding other elements to Sankara. So right now, sort of there's a tangible aspect of culture that people can access on our website. But with the new platform and the new app, it's all about like learning the intangible pieces of culture. So uh. cultural dance will be added and language classes and knowledge um, from different backgrounds. So we're going to um, be broadening the scope of Sankara and that's what's to come is a new platform that's going to extend beyond what we have now. Awesome. And uh, what's the website again? It is SankaraCuisine.com. Um, and the spelling is S-A-N-K-A-R-A-C-U-I-S-I-N-E.com. Oh, my God. Lily, thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary today and for sharing all this. I love the platform. And like, you know, it was great. It was, I didn't even know about this Sankara person. So that was an educational piece for me too. And I can't wait to see the new platform once it launches. Thank you very much for having me. Really a pleasure to talk with you. And also wanted to shout out to Ingrid from WordCraft for getting us connected. And um, I think that is a great fit. I, I'm so excited to see what you do with all of your platforms and keep listening to your show. So thank you for having me today.